Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult Series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Cameron, age 13, is here for his annual visit. His mother is concerned about their arguing and lack of communication. Mom also notes that her, she and her husband are not getting along well either. She's looking for some help. You ask her to step outside the exam room while you conduct the visit with Cameron. She's not very happy about it, but agrees to go wait in the waiting room. Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. And joining me today to talk about parent, child, and family communication is Dr. Jill Terrian. Associate Professor and Director of Nurse Practitioner Programs at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Jill. Good morning, Frank. So as we were just chatting, uh, mental health issues, especially in the area of family communication and adolescence, um, is not anything new to our lives. Um, what do we know about family communication, and, and, and um, what data can we uh, add to that, that, that knowledge base? Right. So a few things. Uh, basically, I am discussing a study that is a national longitudinal study that looked at kids be, or adolescents between the ages of 12 and 21 and followed them until the ages of 32 and 42 in about five waves of data. And what we know, the big nugget is if they get along, they're less apt to be depressed and possibly have better coping strategies throughout life. If families get along, is that what you're saying? If families get along. Mm -hmm. It's family cohesion uh, and a decrease in family conflict. Wow. Well, um, I was an adolescent and probably did not have lots of family cohesion in my, my recollection. Um, what can we as caregivers do to help improve family cohesion? So I think that primary care is really tasked with quite a big job these days, or maybe it's just, you know, more apparent. But there is so much that we have to pack into a visit with the kids and adults that we see. So I think it's that relationship that you have with the adolescent patient and their family, whoever that family may be, whoever that child lives in the household with, and, you know, how you can best care for them. Okay. Um, I agree with you. We, we, we do have a fairly big burden. And as you noted um, in the past, uh, rates of suicide among adolescents continues to go up. Um, family cohesion, though, family communication, uh, what, is there any way we can identify the high-risk children or adolescents and, and, and offer some advice around how to address their risk? Sure. So think about you know, you're, you're having an annual visit. Maybe it's got to be the sports physical to clear the student or, you know, the physical for school and update of immunizations. And, and you're seeing your patient, and if they're 11, 12, or 13, like Cameron is in this scenario, are you seeing them alone for part of your visit, or is the parent or caregiver always in the room with you? So a strategy could be, if you don't employ this in your practice, you might think about it, is getting that 
you know, getting the um, patient alone to talk about things that they might not want to talk about in front of their parents. So how might you have that conversation? Because I, I, I got trained on this in my training, but I know lots of my peers feel uncomfortable kicking a parent out. Yeah, it's in, yeah, and some parents don't want to go because they don't want to miss that critical information, right? I'm one of them. So <laughs> how, how I experience that is that at my um, pediatrician's visit, my uh, son was asked to do a questionnaire at the age of 11. And they just said, you know, mom, you're going to wait in the waiting room. He's going to fill out his questionnaire. I'm going to go over it with him. I'm going to do his physical. And then we'll invite you back into the room for the conclusion. I got to tell you, I was a little bit like, ooh, because you're used to going into every visit. At least I was. And so anyways, that's how it went for me. And actually, it was a really good experience because it opened up conversation immediately in the car on the way home. Um, which I don't think my son was too happy about. But um, on the other hand, even if they're not listening, they're listening. You have said something. And I think it's just such a, uh, you know, it's such a sensitive time in their life when they're adolescents, uh, who they're exposed to, what they're doing inside the home and outside the home. So I think that having a conversation with your patient in the ages of, you know, age range of 11 to 13 alone is really important and something to consider in your practice. Well, and I'm sure every adolescent is starting to explore having all unusual hormones and feelings, and they they probably don't have an uh, objective source that they can query. And I'm sure you were a concerned mom, but your kids probably, I know certainly my daughter didn't feel comfortable discussing many things with me until much into adulthood. So, so asking the patients, finding a mechanism to ask the patient's parent, to leave the rooms the first piece, um, querying them about what? Are you just doing drugs and sex, or what, what should we be talking about? So particular to this topic today is talking about, you know, who do you live with at home? And, you know, and, you know, do you feel that, you know, you're understood by your family? And, you know, basically going to, like, what is the family cohesion? Do you have fun together? You know, what kind of things do you do? And do, does your um, family pay attention to you? You know, can you give me a few examples? And if the answers are, you know, something that you're not expecting, you know, it's another thing to explore, another topic to explore, or possibly increase your follow-up visit, have close follow-up with the patient. I love that idea. I think um, there, there are lots of resources in the community, but the reality of the matter is we may be the only people that they share this information with. And since we already know from Cameron's mom that if the parents aren't getting along either, um, he, he probably has very few resources besides his peers to, to vent. And so close follow-up makes, makes good sense. So Jill, what were some of the alarming things this study brought to your attention? What really uh, came to the forefront was the, um, the link between uh, females in their adolescence, you know, mid to late adolescence, and the increase in suicide rate that we are seeing now in this country. So that, that really was very alarming. And it also looked at females and males and trends of their, you know, they're depression, and they're different, and they're very different. Like males were later on in life in their 30s, um, where the females, as I said, were in that mid to late adolescence. So I think it's important to know. I mean, you can't do a one-size-fits-all with your patients, but it's something to be aware of that maybe if you can identify somebody who is at risk with a depression that needs, or anxiety, 
that you can get referred or treated early. Early intervention is the key. Okay. All right. I think that's a really strong point. So how do we end our visit with Cameron today? What do we need to talk to him about before we bring mom back? So we have to ask Cameron, you know, how are things going? You know, do that, you know, that global, how's school, mm -hmm. how's home, you know, and how are things going? And in Cameron's case, you know, his parents are fighting, and it's making him uncomfortable. Kids, kids sometimes don't know what to do. So I think that having that conversation with him, and then you want to end the visit, ideally, by bringing mom back in so that you can have a conversation together in the room. But you have to ask Cameron's permission. How much of this can I share, and how do we move forward from this? So as I said earlier, close follow-up. Maybe you have Cameron back in the next couple months. Um, but also, you know, you want his permission to talk about this in the open with his mom so that he has your trust. Certainly to find out what he's willing for us to share with his parents exactly. and what, what, what we shouldn't. If he's uh, exploring his sexuality or even substance use, we have right. to. But if he is talking about something that's highly risky like suicide, we probably need to tell him that that's something we've got to address. So Right, right. Oh, Jill, this is, this is, uh, this is our future, helping adolescents... Uh, bridge that, that time period into adulthood. So thank you very much. Uh, and this is a really important article with some great resources. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. Discuss family relationships with your adolescent patients at routine visits and whenever the opportunity presents itself, promising confidentiality where you can and trying to do a global review of the child's risks. Join us next time when we talk about uh, a new approach to treating strep pharyngitis. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.